Good morning or afternoon, men, however you might be consuming this, whatever time of day. I'm excited to be a part of the men's uh, ministry small groups uh, for this next semester. <clears throat> Understanding that the production value is going to be pretty low compared to the wonderful videos we've received from John Tolzma over the last uh, year or so. But I'm also very excited about what we're studying as we talk about the seven essentials of the faith of our denomination of the EPC. And then even though it's an EPC document, it really is a good basic understanding for all Christians, something we should all subscribe to. Uh, but nor that we must understand what each of them say, because we want to do that. If we want to say, oh, yeah, we believe in the essentials, um, we need to know what they are. So we're going to have, um, I'm excited about the opportunity for us to be able to spend some time actually going through these one at a time. And we're going to have to do it pretty high level, pretty 10,000 feet um, in five to 10 minutes to be able to hit them. And today I've got inerrancy of scripture and, you know, God, you know, God the Father, and a little bit about the Trinity. So, yeah, we're going to just hit high level uh, the idea for us really is to set the table for you guys. Um, that's our hope and our goal in all of it, is to set the table for you all to have good conversations, to follow up with the questions that you need, that we might be able to um, discuss these things, understand them, and then more importantly, to live them out. So um, as we kind of jump into this document, you're going to see on there that it's like most great documents in history. The EPC Essentials has a prologue or a preamble, which sets up the entire document. It talks about the foundations of our faith, and that foundation um, is Scripture. It's God's Word. If you know, if you found yourself one day someone saying, you know, what's what's the hallmark, what's the basis of all the things that we think and we believe as Christians, we would have to say that it's God's Word. It's how God has revealed himself to us, our understanding of him, our understanding of creation, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of salvation, uh, the cross, Jesus, all comes from God's Word, not from our own understanding of it, but from what God has laid out so clearly for us. So that is the foundation that we build everything on. And, you know, we go without saying to understand what a foundation is and how important that is, that when we go back to difficult things or frustrating things, um, we have to go back to a foundation that is immovable. And that's what scripture is for us. And what we say to us and what scripture would say and what we believe about scripture as we find in the preamble is that it is given to us by God. It is an instruction manual for life. Um, it is not just to be some kind of dusty book up on a shelf, but something we're supposed to read daily to continue to go back to um, as we uh, traverse the complications and difficulties of life. Uh, it's given to us by God himself. It was God who gave us his word, um, and he did that through inspiration. And that's an important aspect of that, that God spoke through men, um, to give us his word, that the words that we have in the original languages are how they're supposed to be, and that God protected them through the years. As you go back through the manuscript evidence, which I consider doing that, but, you know, five to ten minutes, um, if you go back through the manuscript evidence, you'll see that there is um, almost no differences between all the manuscripts that we have of all the original languages, minus some scribal errors, um, a couple uh, miswritings, that kind of stuff. That is nothing that changes the the meanings of what Scripture says. So it is God who protected it all along the way through people. Um, and the fact that we have so many of those ancient Scriptures uh, that are so important. It's also um, the supreme and final authority on everything it speaks on. So like when it speaks about something, it's the authority because God is the one who made us. God's the one who made the world. God is, knows how it all works. So Whatever ideas we might have on how life should work, whatever the Bible says, is the supreme authority. And then there's this beautiful word that's infallible. Um, it means it's without fault. 
we know that the Bible says about itself is true because it survived the test of time. And you go back to the stories that I'm sure y'all are all familiar, Lee Strobel when he wrote The Case for Faith and C.S. Lewis. Both of those men did everything they could to refute the Bible and what it had to say about itself. They tried to see it as contradictory. They tried to question the, the evidence that was out there. And both of them, their final conclusion was to become Christians themselves because they came to faith because the Bible didn't contradict itself. It agrees with itself and everything. Um, it is consistent um, and it is infallible and it's unified, which is super important for us to realize that we can, even at times, you know, when we read the Bible, it might go, ooh, that feels interesting. When Paul says this and James says this, but as we dig into it, it's very clear that they are saying the same thing, just different sides of that coin, which is important. And then how we know the Bible is true, which I think is great. I've got a little thing that I've sent to you, which kind of gives this top 10 reasons why the Bible is true that y'all can talk about a little bit, but I just want to touch on it real briefly. Uh, the New Testament writers included embarrassing details about themselves. They were dim-witted. They were uncaring. They rebuked. They were cowards. They doubted. If you're writing a story, you're not writing yourself that way. Uh, the New Testament writers included embarrassing details and difficult sayings of Jesus. Jesus said hard things. He said that people considered him a drunkard and said he was a deceiver and that he was out of his mind and that we should you know, eat his blood and drink his flesh. Um, very often that Jesus said these things and they included them. You wouldn't want to do that if you were trying to make a case um, for something. Uh, the New Testament writers left in the demanding sayings like we talked about, that you had to love your enemies, be perfect. If you're trying to bring people over, you're going to leave out the hardest and most complicated and difficult parts for folks. The New Testament writers carefully distinguished Jesus' words from their own. They always talked about when Jesus was writing, when said when they were writing, to make it very clear what he said. The New Testament writers, including events related to the resurrection, they would have not have invented. Who would have invented the burial of Jesus? The first witnesses being women, uh, the conversion of priests, the explanation of the Jews, that the Jews had an explanation and paid off, you know, the guards to say these things. How would you include those things? And especially they would be easily refuted if they weren't true. Uh, the New Testament writers included more than 30 historically confirmed people in their writings. They mentioned people who were still alive when the writings came out. Uh, the New Testament writers include divergent details that it's the same story, but if they were, you would assume that they're going to get their act together and have it exactly right with every detail the same. But the fact that they have different details from the same stories that don't change the fact of the stories are important. New Testament writers challenge their readers to check out verifiable facts, even facts about miracles. Again, they said people like this was Malchus, who was the high priest's, you know, servant. It's like there were people that they could go and find, hey, did your ear get cut off? And was it fixed again? They made it where people could go and find out for themselves. The New Testament writers described miracles like other historical events with simple unembellished accounts, just gave the facts. And the New Testament writers abandoned their long-held sacred beliefs and practices and adopted new ones and did not deny their testimony or persecution or threat of death. Probably the most important to me. Before, they believed in animal sacrifice, but now because of Christ, they didn't do sacrifices. Have you ever wondered why there was no more sacrifices in the early church? That's why. Uh, the binding law of Moses, uh, there was no longer binding. They didn't have to do all the things the Pharisees said because it was fulfilled by Christ. Uh, before, it was like this idea of monotheism. And then after resurrection, what happened? This, this idea of the Trinity. Um, the Sabbath and replaced by Sunday worship, the conquering Messiah who was going to be a political leader to the sacrificial Messiah who would conquer when he returns, and then the idea from circumcision that was replaced by baptism and communion. So these things that are, again, the bedrock and foundation of our faith is important for us to understand and believe. And then out of that, all the other essentials are going to come from our understanding and reading of uh, Scripture. So for the first essential, which we're going to cover in very short amount of time, again, for y'all to be able to talk about, 
is this idea of that there is a God, that there is a creator who is infinitely perfect and eternal. And that idea is the picture that he's holy and really to make it understand that he's good, he's great, he is a good God, he is one that can be trusted, he is one that loves and cares for us deeply, but also that he is the creator and he's sustainer. He's not a God made in our image, but one who created us in his image. He is the creator of all things, he has made it all, and he created us and everything in the world for a purpose. And it shows that he's powerful. And it's really important that those two things go together, that he is good and that he is powerful. Because we find ourselves so often with the world countering one of those two arguments. Maybe he's good, but he's not powerful enough. So all the terrible, awful things that happen in the world is because he's just not strong enough. Or he's strong enough and he's not good. So the same reason for all the terrible things, maybe he could do anything, but he just sits off aloof by himself. But what we understand about God from Scripture and what we would affirm in the essentials is that he is holy, which means he is perfect in everything that he does, and he is powerful. If he's able to create everything out of nothing, only with his own voice, that he is this perfect blend of good and powerful. That way we can trust him. And that tells us at the end of this, because of who he is, we are to praise and we are to worship him. So for us, thinking through the first essential for us is that there is the Bible that God has given us that is super important. It is the foundation and bedrock of all of our faith. It is how we know and understand the things of our faith, the things of this world, and that we're to go to it and to use it and to read it and to know it and to love it and to understand it. And it describes to us a God, one God, who is in three persons in this trinity, that they are of the same substance, but they have different purposes, but that they are one God, and that he is holy and good and perfect and eternal, and he is the creator and sustainer. He is good and he is powerful, and he is there for us. So um, a good beginning, hopefully, for you guys, getting make it right into the 10 minutes, and hopefully that will be helpful for you guys as you guys have a discussion on this. Lots of ways you can go, get you some questions to help you think through it, and how important and what difference it makes that we have a God who is both good and powerful.